Thanks for joining us on the Gen Church podcast of Generations Church. We are a community of everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Right now, we are preparing to celebrate our second birthday as a church. If you've been impacted by our ministry, please send us a note via email to hello at mygenerations.church or consider donating a special gift on our website, mygenerations.church, as a birthday present. Our monthly emphasis is with. It corresponds perfectly with our series, Everyday Jesus. Jesus makes you a new person with a new family on a new mission. So, because of Jesus, we want you to have an everyday faith. It's a way of life, not an event or a scheduled meeting. Everyday faith is the process of learning to follow God in all of life so that you experience everyday family and enjoy everyday mission. If we truly live everyday faith through the power of Jesus, then we will need to be with him. We must realize that he is also with us. When we are with others, he is at work. Be with Jesus. Be with others. He is with us. So I hope that you enjoy today's teaching. We're going to be reading uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Let me pull that up real quick. I thank you, God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced it is also you. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about your, our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering of the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought his life in immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed and herald apostle and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know who, whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. So Jesus makes us a new person with a new family on a new mission. And we're all on that spiritual journey. You're on it right now. Anyone who has ever done anything magnificent for mankind has at some point stood in the river of their own spiritual journey to try to understand what it looks like to be a new person with a new family on a new mission. Such is the case as a man who started Chrysler or who served or saved Chrysler automobiles, the inventor of the Mustang, 
Now, hang with me for a minute for those of you who aren't necessarily car people. I know some of you that might not mean a whole lot these days who are used to just seeing nice and fast cars everywhere, but the Mustang sold a million of its kind in the first year, and it was all from a man named Lee Iacocca. It was the name of yesteryear. The name came to be synonymous with integrity, know-how, discipline, and leadership. He was an Italian from the East. He arose with power to the top of the Ford Motor Company. And when he became the leader of the Ford Motor Company, he designed the Mustang, and Ford took off. But through a technical maneuver, Mr. Henry Ford found a way to vote him down and dismiss him. And he didn't get mad, he says in his autobiography. He said, I got even the good old way. He became the president of Chrysler. He then designed a whole new fleet of cars, took a $1 billion loan from the federal government, and paid it back so fast they didn't even know how to cash the check. He became an icon of his generation for how to live a life with integrity, know-how, discipline, and leadership. When asked, how did he get to this point? He started to reflect on his childhood. He says that his parents... Catholics in his upbringing, taught him to make good confession before he took Holy Communion. Confession and its practice may be foreign to you. Confession was a practice Catholics held before they took communion. They sat before a priest and confessed their sins, everything they had done wrong. They weighed the right and the wrong and confessed it. And Lee said he hated it. He hated to have to think upon and reflect upon his wrongs and his rights. But after a while, he began to see some sense in it. He came to appreciate having to weigh the good and the bad in his life, having to think where he wronged his friends by not showing up for that tea time. When he was aggressive, when he should have been passive. When he was passive and he should have been assertive. He said it developed a kind of therapy in his life. He said it became the best therapy he ever had and made him a man who he was today. And here is a man who saved hundreds of thousands of jobs and redeemed a leg of an entire industry. And when asked what made him, he referred to a Christian practice and pattern of weighing right and wrong in his own mind. And sharing the word. Confession. And while we do not practice confession in the Catholic sense, we do encourage confession in the communal sense. For every week before we take communion, taking a little cracker and some juice, we ask you to reflect on your life, your wrongs, and your rights as we respond to God. Confession admits when we do not reflect the character and priorities of our Father God and reorients our heart to the profound love He has for us so that we can then live in response to this love. I bring it up, Lee Iacocca in particular, because some of you had parents who taught you how to do the right thing. In fact, some of you are here this morning, not because you love church when you first started going, but because your mama or grandma made you go to church. They grabbed you by the ear and said, it's time to get dressed, we're going to church. 
The service was long and boring. And you listen to a dude drone on and on and on. And you look forward to getting home to watch football. And you said to yourself, as soon as I'm of accountable age, I'm out of here. I'm not coming back. But yet, here you are. No one made you get up this morning. No one said, get your good clothes on. We're going to church. You came of your own free will. Maybe some of you parents will get to you here in a moment. But no one drug your butt out of bed and said, let's go to church. You're here by your own free will. You have come here to discover because you came to discover what your mama and your daddy told you and experienced and implored you. That prayer works. That the family of God is more than your family of origin. That God responds and steps into our condition. And your mama and daddy might be gone, but you can thank God that they drug your butt to church. Because you are discovering and learning what it looks like to live your faith in every aspect of life. But they give you a foundation on which to stand. But I know some of you, that's not your story. Your mom and your dad were such heathens that it's a miracle you can even make it out of the house or that you even made it out of the house with some version of sanity. Even if it's a little bit. It's a miracle. And you shock yourself when you show up to a gathering like this because there's no way you should be with other people like this because you look around and you say, man, that person seems like a good person. What in the world am I doing here? And it's an amazement. It's a shock. And you say, I can't believe I'm here. How did my life take these twists and turns? But I'm here to say, some of you may not have familial heritage in the faith, but you have a Christian heritage in the faith. That there are people who came before, who loved, who prayed, who labored, who served, who gave. And you stand here, you sit here. Because they invested in your life. And you're the beneficiary or the recipient of someone taking the time to share a kind word. Or a thoughtful note. Or took some time to take you out to coffee and lunch. And said, I see in you something how I can see God at work in your life and I want you to know that God. You stand on the shoulders of people who have served faithfully God to the best of their ability and you join in with them hundreds of years of the Christian faith. See, none of us came to faith on our own. None of us start the faith and none of us end the faith. That is Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. But you and I are the continuum of faith in between. And that's Timothy's story. Where we come to this passage, there are some passages in the Bible that are more descriptive than prescriptive. Meaning, so, some passages in the Bible describe what's happening rather than tell you this is what you should do. And this passage today is one of those passages. 
There are plenty of other passages of Scripture where I could go to and say, this tells you and talks about the type of family we have when we are in Jesus. When we surrender to Jesus and step into his family, we receive a forever family and the beautiful blessings. I I could go to this passage where it talks about those inheritance. But there's something powerful about Timothy's story that I can't help but think we need to hear and experience. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and it's his second letter to him. And he's writing to his young disciple in the ministry. Paul's first letter to Timothy is about technical matters of managing a church. But this second letter is near the end of Paul's life, where he's not so much concerned with the technical matters of faith as he is the relational matters. And it's here in these words that you almost feel And here, Paul's words for his son and the faith drip through emotionally in the ink. See, in these last moments, Paul teaches us something about new family we have in Christ. See, Paul says, I heard and I saw faith for you, for your mother and your grandmother, and I write to you because you are in my prayers. I constantly Remember you. I recall your sincere faith. See, Paul is describing to us that formation into Christ's likeness is more personal than pragmatic. It's more relational than tactical. It's more intimate than instructive. It's more caught than taught. That your family of origin does affect your life, but your family of origin is not the only family you have. So yes, there is some teaching. There is some instruction. Paul encouraged and taught Timothy. He's saying, remember the faith that I instructed to you. But you catch the way of the family more by the people you hang out with than some tangible instruction. More is caught than taught. It's more relational than tactical. See, you learn how to pray, not by reading a book, but by being with someone who knows how to pray. You learn how to cry out to God by not writing necessarily in a journal and copying the words of someone else, but by going through tough times and sitting with someone else who says, let me tell you my story and unload my baggage and cry out, help you cry out to God. It's not someone who who says, I'm not sure why we sing songs. And and it doesn't speak to me the way that that it speaks to you. But you get that you catch the passion in the environment of worship, not by learning how to sing the exact notes, but by standing beside someone who can sing off key and say, I don't care because I've seen God move in my life and I cannot help but declare his goodness. And i got to confess, I'm not a music person. So that peace resounds deeply in my soul. And that's why it's so important that Christians act as if the new has come. Because you're not going to pass on what you want to be, but you will pass on what you are. And we must live that new person lifestyle. But we don't get there by accident. We get there by presence. 
I joked and I said I'm not a music person, but what music I have learned, I've picked up from others. One instrument in particular that I find absolutely fascinating is the Stradivarius violin. It's considered the best violin in the world. And I'm fascinated by, by the art and the craft of creating different musical instruments. So now the Stradivarius violin is considered to be the best violin in the world. And in 2011, a Stradivarius itself sold for 9.8 million pounds. Mr. Stradivari, Stradivari was known for his ability to find the perfect tree. And to find the perfect tree, he would go knocking on trees. And as he would go knocking on trees, he would listen for the perfect echo in the woods. The BBC caught up with Mr. Lorenzo Pellegrini, one of the makers of Stradivarius violins. And he was walking through the woods, knocking on trees. And they asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to build a Stradivarius. And he had built many of them before. But see, the challenge in building a Stradivarius violin is that even the best American factories cannot recreate the pure sound of a Stradivarius violin. The wood has to sit for so long. The knots have to come together. It has to sit under the right condition, the right gravity of the moon, the right temperature of the air, so that the sap moves through the wood correctly. See, there's no manual for how to find a tree that can produce a world-renowned violin. You've just got to be able to walk around a forest and thump some trees and hear the echo. Violins that cost millions of dollars and are studied with millions of dollars cannot be replicated. You just have to be able to walk with a man who knows how to thump a tree. And if a violin that costs millions of dollars and makes a pure sound cannot be taught by a textbook or studied in a school, but has to be followed by a man who can thump a tree, how much more does it take for you to learn how to not kill your spouse? how to raise your kids, how to fall on your knees in prayer, how to be a good steward and live generously, how to work for the Lord when you're done working for the man. I mean, seriously. Like, Charles hears me preaching here because I know some of you are just done and you're confused and you're tired and you're exhausted and the only way that we figure out how to move forward is not by watching another YouTube video. It's not by listening to another podcast. Well, but it's by spending time with people who are a little bit ahead of us, not even necessarily in age, but as someone who has walked that path and say, hey, let me tell you, when you're fighting with your spouse, you only fight in two places. The bathroom and the kitchen, because that's where the garbage goes. Something as simple as that. You don't fight. Like, I, I'm just being real. Like, there are things that you learn. I, I, remember, I remember my cousin, when she was learning how to get married, you know, they, they, they wrote all the jobs that took down on a, to, that they had to do around the house. And they wrote their names, and they, they just drew out the sticks and, until they were gone for that whole week. Little practical things about living life that doesn't stop with just living life, but it starts 
even when it comes to the life of faith. See, you can go to schools and read books, and believe me, I'm pro-education and reading. If anyone knows me that knows I like to study and read a good book, I have a, I just, I'm going back to school again. Anyways, but at the end of the day, you've got to learn what it looks like to get next to a wiser and more mature Christian who can teach you how to thump a tree. And here's some of my burden. I'm concerned that so many of us have gotten so impersonal with the faith that we've relegated faith to an hour of the week or a consumeristic mentality of exchange of spiritual goods and services that we want the passing of faith to be without conflict and without awkwardness and without uncertainty. So instead we chase something better, moving from place to place, hoping it will satisfy our soul, where we complain and we critique, yet neglect the fairy family God makes in his church. It means that there's going to be some awkwardness. There's going to be some relational difficulty. There are going to be some times where you don't even have the words to say or know the question to ask, but by being in proximity, being people who are orienting their life around Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, that someone might just be able to sit with you and go, it's okay. You're not alone. We need people like that in our lives. Some of you have best friends outside the church and they know you go to church, but that's all they know. My hope and my prayer for Generations Church is that Jesus permeates every aspect of our lives so that the next generation can come to know the name of the Lord and what he has done. That the next generation uh, of elders and, uh, can look at the church and not fear because they say the next generation's got it. The church is in good hands. The faith is in good hands. Where the next generation, to use a sports metaphor, goes, no, we don't just got next. No, we got now. And we live our faith in everyday ways. And I want the next generation to be able to look forward to something that's bigger than a house and more costly than a car, that it's a life drenched in grace. It's leaving a legacy that says, I'm not sure if, if, if I'm qualified to pass down the faith to the next generation behind me, but I sure know as I got a wiser, more mature Christian along the way to help me do that well. See, I'm so thankful for Timothy's story that faith can be passed down from grandparent to parent to child to provide a firm foundation, that you can change your lineage through walking with God. But I'm also thankful for Timothy's story because he has a father figure in Paul who wasn't his actual dad, and he had Paul to mentor him. Church, we need spiritual parents not based on a certain age, but based on a relentless appetite to see each other walk with the Holy Spirit in every aspect of life. And this is what Paul gives to Timothy. Faith in Christ gives us a new family. And we cannot escape the reality of our earthly family. But we must learn to live and express our new family value, values. 
I know we live in a day where people are making up spirituality, where people are deconstructing their faith. They are demystifying the faith. And hear me. Again, I told you I like to study, so think critically about the faith. Investigate the truth claims of the scriptures. But do not relegate your faith to a podcast, a motivational speaker, a walk on the beach. The moment we succumb to that reality, we start missing out of the faith that was born in the context of community called the Father, Son, and Spirit that is transferred to us and we are invited into. See, that language of the Father, Son, and Spirit, it's not accidental. We are invited into a forever family to share in God's overflowing love. Paul says he called us with a holy calling, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God has entrusted us to pass on the faith, not through osmosis, but through reflecting his character and priorities in the context of relationship with others who differ from us. In the context of the new family, the new person comes to the most friction and the most fruition. See, Jesus might be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you get in conflict, you're ready to throw up the boxing gloves and say, let's duke it out. Others of you, when a little conflict comes, you're ready to shrink back. You want to blend in. You want to distance yourself. But see, when God creates a new family for us, and we're to pass on the faith, there's going to be a little friction. There's going to be a little awkwardness. There's going to be a little uncertainty. And rather than replay the patterns of our ancestors, the sinful patterns of our ancestors. We must play and practice the pattern of Jesus who has invited us and included us in his family. We all have a family of origin. And when you sync your family of origin with your life instead of Jesus, we actually cause more harm and trauma for others. Some of you are replaying patterns in your life and you're causing trauma and harm, and some of you are the recipients of that harm and the recipients of that trauma. And my pastoral plea is that generations doesn't be a place that we replay that trauma, that, that we recast that again and again, but in fact that we continually reorient ourselves to Jesus so we can create salve for that trauma, that we can place a bandage on that trauma so that we can apply love and relationship again and again. We all have those moments. Some of you who have gotten to know me, some of you who have gotten to know each other, especially your family of origin go, there's a little bit of your dad in you. There's a little bit of your mom in you. And God gives us those good gifts that are our parents. But sometimes we need to reclaim that family of origin, that, that hurt, and that blessing in the name of Jesus and recreate and walk in the new family values that Jesus gives us. See, we need people who embody Jesus again and again. 
meaning when things get tough and when stress happens, what oozes out of each other is a jelly made from the fruit of the Spirit. And as Paul puts it, not a spirit of fear, but of one of power, love, and sound judgment. Meaning God's way will push you beyond your comforts. We know that we have to settle for our judgment over God's judgment when our decisions are made by our prosperity over suffering. See, the new family values are lived out in Jesus. We serve a Savior who sacrificed himself, his comforts, his life, to make us brothers and sisters and God's forever family. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy, he's sitting in jail, and he's saying, Timothy, do not be ashamed that I'm sitting in this location. It might look from the outside world that I'm a place at the very bottom, but I assure you, I'm living out the patterns of my Savior. Therefore, I am on the very top. And so flip what the world says is good with what Jesus says is good. For some of you, he's calling you home to leave the house of the wicked, to leave the house of relying on yourself, to leave the house that makes you think you are the smartest person in the room and you don't need anyone else. He's saying, come home. Come back to the family that holds power, love, and sound judgment to play by our Father's house rules. Paul is exhorting Timothy to own the faith, to rekindle the faith, not simply to play by the rules, but because they are the house rules, but to play by the rules because it passes on the faith. See, we need people who Fight not for our rights, but fight for the people they call family. Which means we must pray more than we post, which means we must spend time with people that, who don't fake it like they got it all together online and spend more time with people who have life proof that faith works. Spending time together. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit nervous about what I've written down here. Because I think when we really reorient our aspects of our life, it's going to challenge things that we hold dear. And we use terms and phrases in our world to divide people. And what Jesus calls us to is, is when, when there is a division or a phrase that causes division to say, no, actually, we can seek the truth of Jesus, and it actually pulls people together. I mentioned people destructing or demystifying the faith, and we want to be sensitive to people who have doubts and emptiness. And we want to help you on your spiritual journey. But it's not conservative to believe the Bible speaks and God intercedes. It's not progressive to say we should love our neighbor by listening to their hurts and pains. It's not conservative to say that the parents have greater influence over a child than the state. It's not liberal or progressive to say you should give up some of your freedom for your family, to tangibly love, to sacrifice, and be generous for each other. No, it's Christian family heritage that is shaped by Jesus. And we must practice this faith with others. Just because that faith is in hearts doesn't mean that that faith is going to take over. Paul doesn't command, he reminds Timothy that this gift is one of faith and we've got to rekindle that faith, that we've got to use that gift within the family of God. Around the room and when you came in, you probably saw these little cards that said Everyday Jesus. And it's a tool we're using in this series. 
Because I know it's difficult to step in relate to relationship. It's a little bit of uncertainty. But we, we feel like this tool can alert us and alert you to live out that new person reality. And then if you flip over to the back, it says everyday family. Some of you are keeping people at a distance. You've got hurts and trauma and probably with some good cause. Well, if Generation Church is going to be a place where we live by a new set of family values, we've got to have practical and tangible ways for you to rediscover the best of God's family. And for us, that starts in some of these ways that we've just started the process on the back. So we've got activity groups. That's why we talk about volleyball. We say join a team. That's why we invite people to serve, to sacrifice the time, maybe to show up early on a Sunday or take a meal to someone throughout the week. We've also got a place where you can show up for healthy friendships and relational recovery. And maybe you're someone who just feels like, man, you've just never had a father figure or mother figure in the faith, and you'd like to have some intentional mentoring. There are QR codes on the back. And I encourage you to pray and respond to one of those if that's what God is tugging on your heart this morning. And so we want you to live out being a new person with a new family, on a new mission. To practice that faith with others so that people in your life, people who are looking in, see that you play by a different set of rules, have a different type of character, have a different set of priorities. And it's not because you're better or wiser, but it's precisely because in more cases, we're not. And we need And that's the family of God. That's who Jesus is and inviting you into. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you are good and you've provided access to our family. I pray right now that as people respond to your word that that they say yes to whatever you're prompting them to. That Generations Church be the very best of your family. That we say sorry when we do things wrong and we point to you when we get things right. I thank you for that hope and that reality. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.